Ah, uh, yes, friends. On a Tuesday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast, where, of course, you know, we are your hosts. Over here, Adam Armbrecht, breaking down not only the Giants, but also the Brooklyn Nets all offseason over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy, Doug Norrie, and joined by the ever healthy, wealthy, and wise season generational ticket holder, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. How are we, sir, following a holiday weekend? Wonderful holiday weekend. Spent some time up in the mountains, spent a little time poolside. Um, but Adam, I heard you had a really good grilling uh, situation going on yesterday. For it's inappropriate to bring Day. that up, um, you know, to the public here. I uh, consider myself affectionately referred to within the family as King Goulash. You don't know what you're going to get, but a lot of times it can be delicious. I went, I went for it. Beautifully delicious wrapped sausages in a, in a bacon casing, hot honey glaze. And what you're going to want to do is just keep your eye on it because that grill can get away from you in a hurry. You might almost <laughs> burn down your brother's house. Uh, but at the end of the day, people, I think that the juices were sealed in tight and everybody had a good time overall. Listen, that's that's all you can ask for for Memorial Day. A little little fun in the sun, a little barbecue, maybe a little poolside action. That's so, good and for by you. the way, and, 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 and hot and only getting hotter here. I know it may cool off at the end of the week, potentially, but a handful of nice hot days is pretty much what you want here. Unless maybe um, you're working the OTAs and you're <laughs> you're a New York football giant rookie or otherwise. And you're trying to navigate the uh weltering what i assume sun out there and we know that we're going to talk about just where the otas go from here and there's a bit of a delay coming up after the next handful of days that we'll get to get some more looks here at the giants but uh coming out of these first you know first couple of weeks there have already been i think some some affirmations that we want to get to on the young rookie draft class there's also some i'll call it a little bit of offensive line good news bad news andy which would you like first the good news or the bad news uh, give me the bad news first. Sure. The bad news is, is that a player that you were very fond of, and um, I think rightfully so, you you convinced me, you put out a nice path for him to be a contributor to this team. One, Nick Gates, who recently, with an interview uh, with Dan Dugan, kind of said, not kind of, he said, not even really sure if I'm going to be able to play again in my career. That's the goal. I'm working back towards it, but they highlighted seven surgeries in order just to get himself back to a place where he could consider the idea of it. We had some people say over on YouTube in the conversation going back to last week about, I think he starts on the pup list. That, that's <clears throat> certainly viable. But when you hear that, you know, is this is this good faith from the Giants giving him every opportunity and also understanding we talk about, you know, the financial ramifications and roster spots, et cetera. Even the pup list feels like something that might be in doubt, not because it holds a roster spot, but just because, you know, you may find out by the end of the summer that Nick Gates effectively is done playing NFL football. Well, that's the tough part, right, Adam, is you have the player, you have the person, you also have the contract. There's like a, a lot of levels to this. You know, obviously the Giants haven't had to really make any decision on Nick Gates. So the, the idea behind that is, okay, we don't have to make a decision, so let's not until we actually have to. And so while he's there rehabbing, you hope that he can get back to full strength. I mean, you can see some of the photos uh, from camp and you see his leg and you can just imagine like that, how gruesome things had to be for him to be able to even get to where he is now. And so to be honest with you, it's, it's tough. You know, I was excited about the idea of his versatility if he could get back healthy, but even the way that he was talking, it makes it seem like he's saying, Hey, I'm just happy to have my leg right now, and we're going to figure all the rest of it out later, right? 
We'll see. Yeah. But having two legs, two legs feels good. I mean, remember Alex Smith obviously suffered that gruesome injury as well, where it was like life threatening, could have had to amputate his leg. I don't think that Nick Gates quite got to that same point, although it was as gruesome of an injury, certainly. And the idea of would he ever be able to move, have the mobility, just getting up and moving around, right? Let alone being able to be a part of an NFL team. So we'll see how it works out there. The The good news then, though, is um, a young rookie in Joshua Zudu this past week when they started to line up and give some, you know, rotate in some of the other players on the offensive line, he popped up at left tackle while Andrew Thomas was wearing the red jersey. I think it's almost, you may have just misspoke, versatility, a guy that can do a lot of things for this offensive line. I think Joshua Zudu, and this again, I think was, um, I know Jordan Renan was speaking to it, but also Dan Dugan, who said, hey, he showed up here at left tackle. And I thought, well, this just speaks to the order of progression that you'd like to see for him. However quickly this track is, you start out by, showing that you're capable, athletic, versatile. Okay, great. Now you go ahead and show in camp in the OTAs. Yeah, I could play if you needed a blow. If somebody took a little bit of a, you know, a little bit got dinged up on a couple of plays, I can play possibly anywhere across this offensive line, which makes him an elite backup offensive lineman. And then if he overtakes someone for a starting spot, uh, you, you obviously are happy to have that. And however it shuffles, you still feel like you have good depth. Do you find it intriguing to see that this early on, they're giving him some reps there, indicative of, hey, we want this kid to be ready to step in if called upon at more than just the interior. So it's interesting because when you start talking about it, I, you know, I'm going to sound a little bit like a, a hypocrite because I love the versatility that Nick Gates has, oh. you know, and, and, that, <laughs> and the promise of, of Nick Gates being there as a backup was good. I'm kind of yeah. like uh, the first question I have for you about the Joshua Zudu stuff and him playing left tackle mm-hmm. is, are they putting him there? just because Andrew Thomas is hurt and they don't want to move Evan Neal around and they, you know, Matt Pert is already has a, a red penny on. He's not healthy yet. Like, is he just there out of necessity or are they doing this with the idea of he might be able to play that position? Um, well, I mean, I think obviously you're not going to, you're not going to take Neil and swing him over to the left side for some reps because Thomas is hurt, right? Like that's not going to be, um, the process that you would go through here. You're not maybe going to take whatever Feliciano and say, well, now you'll go out there, right? There's certain guys that are set at the spots, at least we, you know, coming into camp here specifically with Neil on the right side. So you don't want to disrupt the apple card from that standpoint, but there are also like, you know, uh, you could go to three or four other veteran or backup players and throw them in there for the reps. So I think you have to look at it from Zudu's a rookie. So you're not trying to you're not trying to mess up his development right early in his young career. So any any choices that you make for him, it'd be the same as saying I, it's entirely different profile, entirely different expectations. But the same way that you wouldn't just move Evan Neal from right tackle over to left tackle, you're not just going to throw Azudu out there for the heck of it. They may be throwing him out there to say we believed he's athletic and versatile. Let's give him a little taste here. Let's just see what this looks like, and maybe we'll confirm. Okay. We want to keep him on the interior guard, center guard positions, or in the in the long term, we do have a viable option to you know have a backup that maybe is more effective than some of the other options. Right, but that, that kind of you know, in my mind, I'm saying Joshua Zudu to me was always going to be competing for the starting left guard position, right? Like that's immediately where I thought he was going to come in. So does this say more about uh, the fact that Shane Lemieux might be a more viable starting left guard than than a Zudu week one because? If it was neck and neck, you think taking any reps away from Azudu playing guard wouldn't be beneficial to him if you want him to start week one in that position, right? Yeah, yeah no, 100%. <clears throat> the other thing would be 
maybe they're looking to say, can we overtake, right? Can we challenge someone that's already on the existing depth chart? Can this be a player that moves there? To your point on 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 Shane Lemieux, I, I strongly believe that healthy, he, he is the guy that should have the starting role coming into camp. He's played in the NFL. He's had his whole rookie season. Obviously, second year got cut short there after just 17 reps. And we've heard this from a lot of the fans, and I get it. Like there is value there and I like it and I'll be happy and excited if he is the starting left guard because it means the previous regime actually did something right. Rare that you get to say that they did something right. They gave you a starting offensive lineman. And also, I think we're as high as I am on Joshua Zudu. We're pretty early in the process for him to be challenging for that job, right? Like, so again, kicking him and giving him some reps at the left tackle. Well, what were, you know, you're not kicking out Shane Lemieux to the left tackle spot and letting Azudu play at left guard, right? So I think we got to get into, you know, camp later in the summer. We got to get into preseason games and see live reps against competition before you can formulate like any real projections around saying, well, if Lemieux looks marginally ahead of, of Azudu, okay, maybe somewhere along the way during this season, a switch gets made or, Shane Lemieux has established himself, right? He looks solid, regardless of how good Azudu may look. Shane Lemieux has earned and is holding on to the starting job, and that's fine, too, to go into this year, understanding, you know, he's in his third year, obviously. You can always start to turn things over another season from now or shuffle the order of how you line up. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I keep going back and forth on it because, obviously, Pert is is hurt or has had a, you know, a exactly. red injury. There's so many injury question marks around it. So, so you don't even know if everyone was healthy, who would get the reps. It's, you know, Corey Cunningham had ha, had gotten some of the different reps as well. I don't know if Gano is getting out there and, and being able to, to get some reps too. Can I, ask you know, you, can I ask you something on, on Matt Pert? Do you me. think like, is he deserving of the same treatment that, that Shane Lemieux is getting? Like if, if Matt Pert was healthy walking in the door this off season, we know it was a bad sample size and he lost his starting job to Nate Solder. But in the same way that we talk about the rookie season for Lemieux was a mixed bag, did some things very well. I'm not even going to mention the metrics by which some people judge him. We, we're not holding holding ourselves to that. But there were areas that he struggled and needs to continue to develop. I know that Matt Pert was not as uh, consistent, and even in his rookie season, right? They were using him situationally, bringing him in for certain reps in certain spots where they thought he was a better option than that year, ironically, Nate Solder, not the following year where Nate Solder was the better option. But he was a third-round pick, too. Is that just, are we labeling that as a miss now? Or is it, again, if he was healthy walking into camp, do you think that he would be getting opportunities to be successful or to, you know, showcase what he could do, possibly maybe on the interior, right? Understanding that obviously Neil is there now at the right tackle position. Well, so I I think that the difference or a backup is... backup swing tackle for that matter, sorry. Right, well, well but, but I think the difference is at the tackle position, it feels like, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, but either you got it or you don't. Because you're on the outside and you, you're going to be like going against some of these big... The interior. Right, like you're going against these massive edge rushers. Like think about Kayvon Thibodeau going against you know, Nate Solder in practice, it would look like a, you know, a matador defense type type of situation. Whereas when you're on the interior, you almost can like get away with it. And, and maybe you can kind of mask that if you cannot play offensive tackle in this league, it gets exposed very quickly. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how it starts out. And again, maybe something that we talked about in, you know, Nick Gates being able to stick around or start, you may know, start in some form of injury to begin the year. Matt Pert has a little ways to go here. Um, see how it progresses when we're talking about the knee. He had some other little issues that kind of, you know, came to light after the last off season and what 
it was like, it, you know, it felt like a lot like Andrew Thomas in his rookie year. We were like, you find out that you go, ah, this guy was dealing with a few different things, right? And maybe that hindered how he looks last year. Maybe he was never fully healthy, et cetera. We'll find out where it goes. The end of the day, I think you have to feel good about, not the end of the episode, but the end, at the end of the day, when it comes to the offensive line, you have to feel good about what you're seeing from Shane Lemieux. I think you have to be excited about Azudu. And again, probably another, you know, few months here. Let's get to some preseason reps later on in August and say, oh, look, look who came in first on the second team unit. or Look who got some some snap counts with the starters and with Daniel Jones there. That being the case, though, the other thing that we wanted to touch on here before we get to an interesting uh, take from Chris Sims ranking the QBs coming into the NFL season. Always fun to take a look at those, especially when you're in this offseason point, because it gives you a backdrop to compare again when you get some live reps in some preseason games, however many the starters ultimately end up getting. But do we already feel like that? Joe Shane is being proven correct on what was maybe looked at as a interesting borderline, maybe questionable draft that he had this year. You and I were excited about it. a lot of giants fans are excited about it, but there's no denying there are several, several players where you went, Oh, that's a little bit higher. You and I have debated Wandale Robinson. I really like him. He's a guy that seems to have proven Joe Shane right already with some of what he's flashing here in OTAs. And then likewise, a guy that you were high on coming out of the draft, but again, was arguably someone that said you probably could have gotten him, you know, another round later. And that's Daniel Bellinger. Can you prove anything in these OTAs to say, you know what? Shane was right. The, the, the turnover in this regime, they are finding quality players, even if we, you know, can marginally disagree on when they were taken. Think back to last season. It's a non-Giants uh, noteworthy news or note from the offseason. Sure. Do you remember during the start of the offseason, there was all this talk about Jamar Chase? It was, he has a case of the drops, and it could be that he That's ends up being yeah. like the worst wide receiver pick ever in the top 10 because he can't catch the ball. Has he lost it completely? Right. And then you see him on the field, you're like, oh, no, none of that matters. He's absolutely outstanding. So, like... I will say, like, you got to take things with a grain of salt. Uh, like tempering, you, tempering expectations. Yes, right? I think you need to temper some of these expectations because we're getting really high on these guys, yet we've never seen them before. On the Jamar Chase front, it was like, yeah, I know he was absolutely amazing at LSU, and he never dropped the ball in his life. And, like, you know, but we're going to take five days of OTAs, and, and we're going to say that Jamar Chase can't catch the football anymore. Right. I don't want to go that far, even if it's super positive things for the Giants, because I do think that Wandale Robinson can make an impact, but he may only get – three, four, three or four touches a game early on as they get him into everything. You know, Daniel Bellinger might only have two catches or three catches for 40 yards. And I don't want people to say we're completely underutilizing them, we're devaluing them, or they're not flashing the same way that they did in camp. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, it's funny because there's no comp when you look at Kadarius Tony for the Giants going back to last year, obviously didn't get into the rotation right for the first handful of weeks, then had injuries throughout the season. So you don't kind of have this this path, even though he's a first rounder and Wandell is taken there in the second. I still think you look at again, you look at that skill set and say, we have expectations for this kid, right? You want to see him coming along. But to your point, you know, if he if he gets what? seven or eight targets in a game, you know, potentially right by the end of the year, you're talking about significant. I mean, that would be, I'm not talking about week one out of the gate, but by weeks three or four, right? How many touches, where is he lining up? I think there's a lot of mystery around how he Kadarius, Tony, all these players are going to get utilized in this new system. Um, But, but I do think, you know, they talked about it last week, beating Aaron Robinson on the deep pass, coming down with it, maintaining control, going to the ground. Like those are probably the things that you do really love to see, whether it's, you know, in blanket coverage, OTAs, preseason, et cetera. 
just him showcasing that he's capable of doing those things. I like again because I instantly looked at and liked the pick coming out of the draft. I just look at this as like you are you are giving affirmation that you can do this. And you mentioned about some of the different players. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast or not. You know, heights, right? Successful guys that were under five eight, you know, et cetera. And it looked like it was like one out of every seven or so was successful at the NFL based on those measurables. The funny thing is, and we could probably bring this up later in the week is, but look at every single wide receiver. Like what is the success hit rate on wide receivers in general? If it's one out of every six, you go, okay, so not that big of a difference. It really does come down to the player. On the Daniel Bellinger side, though, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of a boost here because the first thing we thought about from Daniel Bellinger is the blocking. And it's something that neither of the other two tight ends that they have on the roster, potentially ahead of them at least, um, don't necessarily offer. But what I found interesting was when they talked about Bellinger's college game, they said, hey, listen, he's going to come in. He can be a blocker for you first. We know the Giants may or may not use a lot of in-line blocking from the tight end position. But then they said, and the only spot that he really had success was a lot of these little bleed outs off the line and using his athleticism to catch and then turn up field. He has some quickness, some short area quickness that he can get the ball, turn up field and get some yards. And the first thing I thought was, well, if we're talking about everybody that the Giants have on their receiving core, like that might be the exact thing that Daniel Bellinger can do run a little four yard hook route, right? Be the safety valve for Daniel Jones. Something we talk about all the time. You always want to have that check down guy at the tight end position. I know that they're used differently around the league. There's a lot of versions and the NFL is modernized in a lot of ways. And yet you still want to have the safety valve player. And I think Bellinger can be a bit of that. And certainly if everyone is healthy going into the year, Bellinger can just be the forgotten guy that every time he's catching the ball, you go, yeah, because you're worried about everything else that's happening around you with Tony Galladay, if healthy, right? You mentioned uh, Wando Robinson to say nothing of Brita and obviously Saquon Barkley out of the backfield. Well, the weird thing is, though, Adam, like I'm I'm high on Bellinger. I had other uh, tight ends like uh, Kate Otten that I thought would be good from a blocking perspective, you know, yeah. a, a big, strong body guy. But Daniel Bellinger has shown his athleticism. It almost makes you wonder, and, and the question kind of keeps lingering in the back of my mind, is like he played at San Diego State. How? how could they mismanage and misutilize such an athletic talent at San Diego state? It's not like there's 12 guys that are going in the first round at San Diego state. So explain to me how he plays in 11 games and only catches 31 passes. Like what scheme are they running that Daniel Bellinger only gets three catches a game when he looks like he's got this crazy athleticism. It looks like he never drops the ball. He's making these one handed grabs in practice. Like that's shocking to me. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, did they, underutilize him or was it the scheme like what was it that that prohibited Daniel Bellinger from flashing the way he already has in OTAs yeah and you know what from college to the pros right what are the expectations for the tight ends what's the expectation of the offensive line and knowing nothing of San Diego State and saying how good was their offensive line right because Bellinger is a good blocker so how many opportunities were you afforded to give a player like that understanding the other thing that he can do for you but and that's probably true too and this is why I, I think not to speak to our abilities around scouting or looking at players coming out of college, but this is the thing that you're not going to be able to, you know, watch, take, take the measurables or watch the combine and say, Oh, well, obviously X, right. The things you need to take away from watching tape is saying, what is this player potentially capable of? Like that, that's a lot of what you're doing when you draft these prospects, especially in the middle and late rounds, you're saying, Oh, it's not about what he showed necessarily, 70 catches at the college level, et cetera. It's about what we think his skill set and measurables tells us we can make him into, right? And that's maybe arguably where if you're the Giants, you look at a Bellinger and you go, 
yeah, like I know you labeled him as a blocking tight end, but we think he's a serviceable pass catcher. Maybe even, you know, maybe has some even bigger upside than we realize, but we see that he can also do both things. And if you think it, look at him that way, all of a sudden he's a prospect that maybe should be elevated, even though we know tight end, a diminished position by NFL prospect standards anyway. So it'll be interesting. It, to say. It's interesting. It, it is. And so, I mean, this is just uh, food for thought. We didn't actually talk about this before the show, but right. uh, Daniel Bellinger's career numbers at San Diego state is 68 catches for 771 it. yards and five touchdowns, which in this day and age, that would be a season in the NFL that would put him maybe, you know, in the back half of the top 10. It would actually give him the ninth most receiving yards in a season. That was his four-year career. I think, you know, I think this is interesting. I think we should explore it a little bit more. What do you think, like, where is year one Daniel Bellinger if he mm. perf- continues to perform the way that he has? Does does he get to 600 yards? Like, wh- like where do you kind of see him fitting in? And I can tell you, you know, roughly – who that equates to in today's NFL. And you could tell me whether or not you're, you say, Oh yeah, that's kind of where I see him. Yeah. That's a good one to do, especially with Robinson as well, right? Rookie campaigns. Where would that stack up in the NFL? And maybe putting a little bit of perspective for, for giants fans of, you know, what bar are we setting for them? Because if you say you want to see this kid go for 700 yards, receiving out of the tight end position, be like, all right, well you want a top 10 tight end. Like that's your, you know, you're talking about having a top 10 NFL tight end. And I think that that's a little bit, um, That's a little, that's a, that's a lofty goal. I guess I would say, let, let, let's stick on this for a minute. We're going to get into, um, we'll hold it for next episode. The, the QB rankings from Chris Sims. So consider it a little bit of a tease here when we, but let's stay on the, on the Bellinger piece and we can include Robinson in this as well. And by the way, we'll tie into how does Daniel Jones look right. And then we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more on the next one. But I, I guess to your point, what are your expectations from a target share when you when you look at this? We said, you know, you can throw out the number of like 500 pass attempts is somewhere going to be in the range. Probably going to be more in today's NFL. Could be a little bit less if Daniel Jones misses time. But if you have 500 pass attempts from Daniel Jones, how many of those are going to, let's assume that by, by this conversation, Daniel Bellinger is going to become then the starter at some point. Let's also, let's not, let's not sell this down here either. Whatever Seals Jones isn't, what he is, is a pass-catching tight end. So Daniel Bellinger has two things in order to accomplish to talk about what can he do in his rookie year. First, he has to get over one and two players ahead of him currently on the depth chart. We, there's no real official depth chart out at this point. And then look at what the production should be. So the first question is, is he going to be the number one tight end within the first, let's say, four weeks of the season? I, I think he will. I think he's already proving himself. He continues to push and push. We knew the blocking was going to be there straight away, Adam. Now, all of a sudden, you're, you're hearing the athleticism and all the catches that he's going to make. He seems like a guy that's going to force himself onto the field. If no other reason, then, you know, Ricky Seals Jones and Jordan Akins are kind of veterans that you want to have in the room that make sure that you don't completely bottom out if you don't get someone like Bellinger in the draft. Mm-hmm. But to me, <clears throat> I think he has all the tools to be able to be a starter week one. And so because of that, I have expectations of, to your point, there's a lot of mouths to feed. But I think what's important to think about is, you know, Mike Kafka is the offensive coordinator. You saw they use Travis Kelsey. Clearly, that's not going to be what Daniel Bellinger is going to be, at least anytime soon. But I think what would be interesting is look at Dawson Knox's usage in Buffalo Mm -hmm. to understand how Brian Dable has, has used and utilized the tight end position. And Adam, if I told you that Dawson Knox had about, 575 yards last season 
is that kind of in the range of where you would expect, you know, Daniel Bellinger would potentially be 587 yards is what Dawson Knox had total 39 yards, yards a game. That's what well, yeah, I need. I need how many, what was his targets though? How many targets did he get? So in terms of targets, Dawson Knox got 71 targets. Okay. Right. So, I mean, you know, like right there, you're talking about 71 targets. And even if we actually, if we went the extra layer here and said, he got 71 targets and you had Josh, uh, Josh Allen. We're going to do this. We're doing real time, real time action here on the podcast. And Josh Allen is somebody who last season went for six. Actually went for, yeah, I'm saying 500 probably because we haven't seen Daniel Jones throw the ball. He actually threw the ball 646 <clears throat> times. So, but that, and that's, that's the point right there though. Actually, actually makes my case. Ways 646. So 71 out of 646. I was going to say, if you're talking about five or 550, even if it's again 500 to make it the round number, you're talking about 500 passing attempts. You're getting a guy that's getting close to 20%, right? Somewhere in like the 16 to 20% of targets is going to go to Daniel Bellinger. That seems high to me, right? Now, if you talk about getting to 600 and he's closer to 10 than to 20%, okay, fine. But that's really what that, that's what I'm looking at. Because if you went by the percentages and said Daniel Jones is going to throw the ball five to 550 times, then you're talking about a guy that's getting, what, 40 to 50 targets? And what is he turning that into? So that's what it, that's why it, it to me comes down to how many reps is he seeing and how many targets is he getting because if the share is big enough then he can be successful but you're going to be hard pressed at least initially like i think i'll put it in these terms i would be interested to see what his red zone targets look like right how he gets utilized maybe in that area of the field or maybe between the 20 some of those ball moving opportunities because if you talk about Kadarius Tony being healthy if you talk about Wandell Robinson being a contributing rookie even Kenny Galladay to whatever extent he's at we already said like you need to have half of your pass attempts need to be going to Kadarius Tony Wandell Robinson, and then probably another 15 to 20% needs to be going to your backfield in Burita and in Saquon Barkley. So like just by the numbers, Bellinger is going to have to maximize every opportunity he gets to have success from a, from a stat standpoint. I, I, I agree with that, but also this is becoming more of a passing league. We saw how oh, sure, yeah. Jason That's why Garrett, like 500 is a low number, you know, by most standards. Right. Because Jason Garrett was an extremely conservative play caller. You had Joe judge that enabled him to be that type of conservative play caller. That's not the case of what they did in Buffalo. You mentioned over 600 pass attempts. They used short, quick passes to the tight end like Dawson Knox to move the chains because they had little to no run game. When I tell you that Dawson Knox had 71 um, targets, and that ranks like 18th or 19th in the entire league. So we're saying we, you know, even that target share is back half target share in the league. So I don't think it's unreasonable to think that a tight end security blanket for someone like Daniel Jones is going to be able to get that many receptions. So for me, I mean, look at Evan Ingram had 73 targets last year under with Daniel Jones. So in fact, Dawson Knox had less targets than Evan Ingram did. Yeah, but 73 targets. But 73 targets on a team that was bereft of talent, right? Like, you know, the injury, you know, you didn't have Kadarius Tony for so long. You didn't have Sterling Shepard. Kenny Galladay was up and down. You had Saquon Barkley coming back for the first time. You had an inconsistent Darius Slayton. Like, 73 targets for Evan Ingram, who by all accounts was the, using uh, for for listeners, air quotes, the best, you know, the best weapon on offense and in, in a multitude of games. Now, how coverage gets played, et cetera, but he got to 73. So again, let's just let's just have that conversation then though he gets 75 targets what does he convert that into is do you think that it's reasonable you know let's we want to set that bar at saying because i'd be happy with by the way as a rookie tell me he clears 500 yards receiving 
right? And tell me he gets used in some of those key spots, a little bit of a chain mover potentially in some of those looks. I, I'm also completely happy if he shows up on the field for key blocking situations and helps the offensive line have some success in the run game and help protect Daniel Jones. Um, but any, yeah, anything over 500 yards for me and a few touchdowns in his rookie year, I think is going to be success, especially again, because that means that he's probably maximizing the opportunities. It's not about, well, he got 140, you know, targets and only picked up 35 receptions. I think if he can be a high volume percentage from receiving as, as Evan Ingram was not right. If he can do that, then I think you start to move the needle a little bit on where those numbers can go just from a pure stat standpoint. So the leading, so you, you were talking about yards. I'm going to go in the touchdown direction because it's all about points, baby. Think about this. Mark Andrews, league leader, nine receptions for touchdown. Tied with Travis Kelsey with nine receptions for touchdown. I'd say those two are pretty good. Guess what? Dawson Knox was tied with both of them for the league lead in touchdowns by a tight end. So while I'm not heaping expectations onto Daniel Bellinger, what I'm saying is look at the system that Brian Dable has has created and understand the importance of the tight end in the red zone. I don't know if, you know, 500 yards is good or great, but I think, you know, Evan Ingram having three touchdowns on a terrible team, I could see Bellinger. I'm expecting Bellinger to have five touchdowns. You know, like he, I could see him being utilized as a red zone threat because that's what Brian Dayball did just with Dawson Knox up in Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, listen, that's fair. So, I mean, you know, we talk about catch percentages, those types of things we can iron it out, but you, all right. So let, let, we'll, we're going to be doing this all off season, as we've talked about before, just kind of setting the standards for it. So we can go ahead and check Daniel Bellinger off that board. Expectations are 500 yards, five touchdowns, right? Let, let, yep. let, let, let's leave the receptions off the board. Let, you know, we'll worry about all those other details a little bit later on, but that's the goal here is 505 for Daniel Bellinger in his rookie season. That's interesting, man. And, and, and by the way, the Knox comparison from production in the red zone standpoint is definitely worth noting, especially when we think about as good as we, as we think some of these receivers can be just a big body who can occupy space, right. And fend off defenders and wondering what Kenny Galladay is going to be coming back uh, this season. Certainly Bellinger has a role to carve out for himself. So we end up at the end of the day, turning our attention in a big way, in a big way to the tight end position and to one Daniel Bellinger. We'll talk about Wando Robinson over the course of this off season too. We're going to do probably full episodes where we, you know, project what we think some of these guys can be and how productive they can be from a stat standpoint, but it's not bad to drop one in here knowing that they're still going to be now this week and then also next week when it comes to OTAs before we get into the mandatory mini camps and later in the summer and everything else. Like this is the time to move the needle as much as you can if you're Daniel Bellinger. So that may be by the time we get to preseason games, you just have it. First team reps, right? Like he is going to be out there for you. First thing he has to do, obviously, is learn the system. Something that, by the way, every tight end is doing right now themselves. So you don't have anybody coming in with familiarity. It's a new system for everybody, and that probably gives him an even footing as much as anything. Well, and and as you said, at the end of the day, Daniel Bellinger having 500 yards would put him 19th or 20th in terms of total yards. So if he could be a top 20 tight end in the league in year one, that's successful that's for him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know what? That would make me excited because while Evan Ingram had all you know dripping with talent and oozing with athleticism and ability, he never gave Giant fans the same feeling that guys like Kevin Boss, Jeremy Shockey, or Jake Ballard, or any of those guys ended up doing. And if we could have a top 20 type tight end that can block and 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 play hard, I think Giant fans will sign up for that immediately. You better believe it. We will 
come back in. We're going to talk about the Chris Sims rankings of the NFL quarterbacks, what we should or should not take away from it. Some of the names that are in and around Daniel Jones and where he ranks, could he rise or fall this season? It's obviously entirely possible, but what's the competition level look like? And I mean, listen, we all know we just want to see him play well. So that really is the most important piece here. But where is his starting off point as he looks ahead to a critical season for his NFL career? We'll break that down. We'll talk about OTA takeaways here, see what other information we get from a health standpoint. And uh, until then, though, friends, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, rate, and review. The podcast is out there for you as well. And as Andy Mackowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. <laughs>